All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 512. Jason Lingren is with me and Wayne McCroy returns. Uh, anyone who wants to know about Wayne episodes can go to the search function on the site by mousing over episodes. And the search has two sides. On the right side, you would enter a name. Uh, you could write Wayne or McCroy, and it'll give you actually at this point quite a list. I'm not sure how many episodes it's been. What we're going to cover today is socialism, communism, and fascism, which is pretty poignant considering where we are and where theoretically the people in charge, wherever they are, want to go. It has been said by people who I actually respect, or it has been claimed that in this country, in my lifetime, we have had all but one of the communist pillars in place. The one pillar being the ability to just take someone's property and it is stated that they didn't need that pillar because there are things like taxation, eminent don- domain. There's like four or five methods that have typically been employed in this country to take property. Eminent domain is a big one. But as we get in, we're going to cover a lot of aspects of these three ideas. Welcome, Jason. And a nice and hot good morning. And welcome, Wayne. Hi, guys. Always a pleasure to be back with you gentlemen on the air here. All right, what do you say we jump in on socialism? Socialism is a political philosophy and movement encompassing a wide range of economic and social systems, which are characterized by social ownership of the means of production as opposed to private ownership. As a term, it describes the economic, political, and social theories and movements associated with the implementation of such systems. Social ownership can be public, community, collective, cooperative, or employee. While no single definition encapsulates the many types of socialism, social ownership is the one common element and is considered left-wing. Different types of socialism vary based on the role of markets and planning and resource allocation on the structure of management in organizations and from below or from above approaches, with some socialists favoring a party, state, or technocratic-driven approach. Socialists disagree on whether government, particularly existing government, is the correct vehicle for change. You know, when it comes to ideas like these, the truth of the matter that I notice is socialism is actually operating in a lot of places in the world, including the one where we exist here in the West, uh, openly in like the Nordic areas. Maybe it's admitted a little more. But what always cracks me up, I use example like I don't know, like state parks, right? So you're told the state parks are owned by the people, but they're not, right? You you go there, you've got to ask permission, you've got to pay to get in. Um, there's all these rules. It's um, it's labels more than anything. And one thing about socialism, it almost feels like there's no constant, like there are versions and versions of it. But what would you add, Wayne, uh, as far as socialism goes? I mean, it what we call socialism is actually active in a lot of parts of the world right now. Well, that, that's the whole thing. Socialism is very much active in a lot of parts of the world, especially here in the West. We just don't recognize it as being actual socialism because it's not necessarily attached to government. It's more attached to an idea called governance, which is slightly different than government, but still it's effectual nonetheless. And that's the whole point of the whole exchange here, why we're looking at this socialist mentality, because it is in place in the Western culture, 
whether we want to recognize it for that or not. They disguise it very well. And because they don't come right out and say our government is a socialist government, it doesn't mean that it's not instituted into action in the world today. It certainly is. But it's disguised as what they call governance rather than government. And that is a whole separate animal altogether. I mean, we could ask questions like, is the New Deal a step in this direction? Or the idea of a social security number? Aren't those ideas flirting with what we're talking about? I would say they certainly are, because that's the whole bent of the whole notion of things here. You always, when you have what they call democracy, that always invariably leads into socialism, where there's a redistribution of wealth and a redistribution of goods across the board to the people in need. But you have to take that from somewhere. So in order to have that, you do have to have some type of government structure in place to set up a program like that. But sometimes how this functions operates outside of what you would call mainline government. And that's where we get the distinction between government and governance, because you'll find that by and large, many of the social programs are run by contracted sub corporations or sub contractors through government agencies to implement certain things. So when we look at it from that perspective, it certainly is the governance approach rather than government approach. And the government very much stands as the authority figure in all of this. But oftentimes they're not the ones who are responsible for the handling of certain programs. And that's why they subcontract out to many providers, especially if you look at like the social services programs, things like psychological health programs and stuff like that that are sponsored by the state, they're subcontracted. And that's the whole point here. So the role of governance falls in the hands oftentimes of these agencies and not necessarily directly from government. So we may not recognize it as a true type of socialism, but it does indeed exist and it's there. So before we move on to communism, I would point out that on television shows uh, that run in America, a lot of times, like Rick Steves, there have been a number of them that will go to some Nordic type country and try to make the point that they're living better there than they are in America. And the argument is spurred by people from this country saying, what the hell, those people are being ridiculously taxed. Then they go in and interview those people and they'll say, yeah, well, we spend, you know, 50% of all income or something is given away. And then they make the argument, but we have everything. We go to college free. We got our medical, they they do all these things. But what I notice is what is called socialism varies greatly from place to place. But let's jump into the definition of communism. And Jason, you and I had a recent guest who made an interesting statement, which I think is a borrowed statement. The idea he expressed, let me see if I can get this right. When governments own the corporations, that is communism. Now, when corporations own the government or control the government, that is fascism. Uh, Do you remember who was that? Dr. Trebbing that said that? Who said that? Yeah, that was Dr. Trebbing. Yeah, Dr. Trebbing. And I think that's actually a borrowed statement from somewhere else. But it's an interesting idea in light of where we are. Uh, It's pretty clear that the government or what we call the corporation that we call the federal government is pretty much a creature of corporations and monetary concerns. Uh, If that is true, then we would be bordering by that definition on fascism as it exists now. But let's jump into the, the communism definition. 
Communism is a left-wing to far-left sociopolitical, philosophical, and economic ideology within the socialist movement, whose goal is the establishment of a communist society, a socioeconomic order centered around common ownership of the means of production, distribution, and exchange that allocates products to everyone in the society. Communist society also involves the absence of private property, social classes, money, and the state. Communists often seek a voluntary state of self-governance, but disagree on the means to this end. This reflects a distinction between a more libertarian approach of communization, revolutionary spontaneity, and workers' self-management, and a more vanguardist or communist party-driven approach through the development of a constitutional socialist state, followed by the withering away of the state. As one of the main ideologies on the political spectrum, communism is placed on the left wing alongside socialism, and communist parties and movements have been described as radical left or far left. Socialism is often said to be on the road to communism. I don't know about you guys, but these isms that we're talking about, they seem like they're social engineering talking points because they're very imprecise. And they're almost always used derisively to get you to think about a thing in a certain way. But even in the opening definition of communism, right out the gate, they attach it to socialism. And in the closing paragraph, they do the similar thing, saying socialism is the road to communism, creating the appearance that if you're socialism, it won't be long till you get to communism. I don't know what they're trying to point out there. But these isms, Wayne, they don't feel very precise. They feel like they're talking points for agendas. Oh, certainly they do, because that's what it is. It's all the politicization of this type of governance. So when we have these isms, they're purposely made vague so that there's very little distinction between one ism to the next ism. So we have some overlapping properties that are in common between socialism and communism. And for that matter, even capitalism there are some of these overlying commonalities between all of these things. And it's purposely left vague so that they can steer minds in certain ways. They could attach stigmas to certain types of these isms. So now the big battle in the minds of the Western world and of Western culture is this battle between communism and capitalism. And this is kind of undergirded all of our more recent history through the Cold War era and up into modern times here. So they have these loaded words that they use to incite certain reactions in different people groups. And that's more what it's about, more so than the actual operation or function of this said type of governance. So even though oftentimes they try to describe socialism as having positive points and they just try to describe communism as having positive points and capitalism as having positive points, they all have their negative points as well. And it depends on what the agenda is of the people that are steering these social engineering tropes at the time as to what kind of connotation they attach to each of these isms. And then we see what we have. It creates more divicity between people. And that's what it's all about. They like to keep us all divided along lines of thinking in different ways, whether it's political ideology, racial ideology, all of these different things they use as a method of control because they like to play one side against the other and keep us in fighting about things that don't really matter. So what are we calling ourselves? Are we a socialist nation? Are we a capitalist nation? Are we a communist nation? Well, it's all used to disguise the fact that technically it's a 
almost like an oligarchy of sorts that's in place here. And nobody talks about that. Instead, we're, we're harping about communism or socialism or some such thing. So it's all a method of keeping people off topic. Well, we're about to touch on fascism and capitalism. Everyone openly or pretty much openly would state that the United States is capitalist. And everyone can see where that's brought us. Just the way that it's set up, it means people are going to do whatever it takes to get money. And what has been the outcome of capitalism in our era is we have corporations now that have more power and wealth than any other organization in the world, probably. But we're going to get into fascism here. And when I think about fascism, it's interesting to me because there are two universal symbols, one of which I'll probably use in the episode image, the thing called the fascies, the bundle of sticks with the axe head. Most people would commonly think about that around Rome. You know, they always show the, the centurions marching before the ruler holding their fasces, and they would put them prominently as they march into the Senate. But the two symbols are the swastika and the fasces, or the bundle of sticks that uh, ring as symbols in my mind of fascism. But if I'm not mistaken, Jason, there are fasces in the, uh, in the Congress. And actually, in one of the buildings where the legislation in our country occurs, I'm not sure exactly where, if I'm not mistaken, there are facies in those buildings. Yes, yes. You'll definitely see them in certain uh, interviews and things like that. You can catch them on, by the way, anyone who wants to go back and look at the old 10 cent piece called a dime, which is becoming very rare. I believe, I hope I'm not wrong here. I think there may be some facies on the back of an old dime. You're absolutely correct. I was just going to point out that fact that the fascist appears on the back of the dime. So it's right on our money. And it's a 10. So there's a whole numerology thing we're not going to get into. But let's do another ism, Jason. Fascism. Fascism is a far-right, authoritarian, ultra-nationalist political ideology and movement characterized by a dictatorial leader, centralized autocracy, militarism, forcible suppression of opposition, belief in a natural social hierarchy, subordination of individual interests for the perceived good of the nation and race, and strong regimentation of society and the economy. I don't know about you guys, but they're going to have to make up some new isms to get the technical aspect of where we are in this in this age. You know, it feels like a little bit of each of the things we have outlined are coming to bear now. I think the fascism one, maybe a little bit more in some aspects, but what's different uh, in the way that I view it now is that material or the militarism, uh, it's still there, but we're really beginning to see the policing system is digital uh, and that will be done by devices. I mean, what do you think, Wayne? Well, that's what we would call technocracy. Uh, I don't know if they came up with an ism term for that yet, but technocracy is certainly what's being described here. And it does take different aspects of all these different classical political systems and implement them. And it does throw autonomously. Uh, so that's that's part of the danger that's that's inherent here with technocracy is this is all going to be controlled via algorithm or artificial intelligence. And that creates a whole set of problems here. When we come into the future, because if you have a problem with something that's been done, who do you get in touch with? Now, I just recently had a strike on YouTube and I tried to dispute the strike and you can't actually speak to an actual person who gives a crap about anything with it. 
And this is what we're looking at as an example of the future. It's like trying to deal with the YouTube algorithm and trying to go through their support system to get help to overturn a problem that you have. It's just simply not going to happen. When you put machines in charge of this and algorithms in charge of determining things, there's just no disputing it. It is what it is, and you are struck with whatever the outcome is that the machine decides for you. And this takes away the responsibility from government, you see. And that's part of the problem that will be upcoming with technocracy. Our hands are tied. I mean, the machine decided that uh, this is the case, and we can't do anything to overturn that. And they don't really actually have any people working on reviewing the case or anything like that. So that, I think, is a prime example of what we could see coming with technocracy. It is a type of fascism of sorts, and it does combine all of these different aspects of governance into that one unilateral system. So I think it's important to understand some of these precepts moving forward to see what we're going to be dealing with in the near future here. I think a term that's going to need to be attached to these old isms that are going to need to be updated as they are employed or the attempt is made by the new world order to employ them is dehumanism. Uh, you can go right now to places like Home Depot, where you will see lines of people at self-checkouts because they're closing. The cashiers, the human interface is being removed. Uh, this is becoming commonplace in fast foods. It's banks of all things, banks. If you keep an eye on what's going on with the banks in your area, in my area, it's been a hell of a thing. They have taken the ATM systems that were vestibules that were protected by you having to have a card to get into the vestibule. They've put them outside with no overhang in a place that snows. This dehumanization is going to be front and center in the digitally policed era that we are entering. But here we come, Jason into what I believe most of us would call the United States, uh, among other things, is capitalist. And when I was growing up, the argument that was put in front of us to get us to, to recognize and hate on an enemy was the Russians. And those communist bastards would call us capitalist pigs and back and forth it would go. But I'll ask everybody listening, I'm not by any stretch saying any one of these systems is desirable, but how has that capitalism worked out for us? where we are right now. In the next two years, uh, we are going to witness the deconstruction of damn near everything we watched built over our lifetimes into the dehumanization of whatever you want to call the system that's coming. That attempt is here now and moving forward. But let's define capitalism, Jason. Capitalism is an economic system based on the private ownership of the means of production and their operation for profit. Central characteristics of capitalism include capital accumulation, competitive markets, price system, private property, property rights recognition, voluntary exchange, and wage labor. In a market economy, decision-making and investments are determined by owners of wealth, property, or ability to maneuver capital or production ability in capital and financial markets, whereas prices and the distribution of goods and services are mainly determined by competition in goods and services markets. Isn't it interesting that when I was young, they used to tout these checks and balances to keep capitalism under control. One of the big ones was monopoly. It was bad, bad, bad to have a monopoly. And the big show of breaking a monopoly was when I was young, a thing called Ma Bell 
or the phone systems. So you can imagine the infrastructure that's associated with all the telephones and pay phones and everything that went with it in America back when there were pay phones, back before there were any wireless anything. Now, what they did was they went in and said, hey, Ma Bell, you can't have a monopoly. That's against the antitrust laws and all these other things they touted. And they made a big show on the evening news for quite some period of time, coast to coast, to say, we are breaking you up because this is not good for society for you to have a monopoly. And by the way, now you have to share all this infrastructure that you built because you can't have a monopoly. Now, the next time I heard this argument put forward was at the very beginning of the digital age when internet browsers were brand new. Netscape, if anyone remembers Netscape, was at odds with Microsoft because Microsoft had all this power, putting the computers out everywhere as they did, uh, controlling basically the lion's share of that market had bundled a browser into their operating system, and the same argument was put forward, except there was a difference this time. While they made a big show of breaking the supposed monopoly or what they were going to equate with a monopoly of Microsoft not giving anyone a choice, if you had their operating system, you had their browser, and therefore they controlled your access to the internet was the idea. What they did is they went into a proceeding that basically broke the backs of all Microsoft's competition. So on the one hand, they're touting, like they used to, that we've got to protect the interests of society and a monopoly is bad, bad, bad. And while they did it, they killed all the competition. If I'm not mistaken, I would have to look back. But Netscape was nearly wiped off the board when that was all said and done. This was capitalism. Now, at some point after that, The idea of monopoly is not even in our lexicon anymore. There are plenty of people or corporations that have monopolies of one kind or another, except now the way they do it is you'll have your BlackRock at the top and they have a gazillion smaller corporations and subcorporations under them. But if you follow it all the way to the top, you have a monopoly that has never been seen before. Would you change any of that? Wayne, what I laid down, would you amend any of that? Well, I would say that absolutely what has happened is this system of capitalism that we were handed has become what I like to call crony capitalism. And that's invariably where it all leads. Instead of having outright monopolies, what these companies have done is they've gotten smart and they've collaborated with one another. And they come up with these giant corporations that own these smaller corporations and they disguise things in the guise of being separate companies altogether. So therefore, the monopoly laws don't apply. So they could still control the pricing of the goods or services and have executive say in all of that without much competition because they are their own competition. And then they do various things through this guise to get things done that they want and they still remain profitable. And that's the whole point. So this this capitalist system's turned into crony capitalism, which is kind of more centralized control by very few people. And it's become something that's been abused quite a bit here. And you use the example of BlackRock. Well, BlackRock owns Fox News and BlackRock also owns Dominion voting machines. So when Dominion voting machines successfully sued Fox News and won that case, well, it's just this major corporation just exchanging funds across the 
various portions of the, the major corporate structure. That's all. Nobody lost anything. It's all for show. So they use this as a, a type of way to steer social agendas and to control pricing of goods and services in certain ways. And that's essentially what's been done here. So you have these this one large corporation owns these smaller corporations that fall under an umbrella category beneath it. And it's monopoly without actual monopoly. <laughs> and much of these ideas have fallen to the wayside in the modern era. Most people are unfamiliar with what the monopoly laws were all about, the younger generation anyway. So we have a situation where very few people control vast amounts of the economy. And we see what's been done in the name of the economy in recent days, haven't we? I would go a step further and say that it's even worse because it's taken over cultural aspects that are being very damaging. And by the way, I will point out what country brought us the very famous board game monopoly. <clears throat> but to get back to the point, people have taken time out of their life to be mad at a beer or at Disney or at other places for the gender agenda. Maybe we just should call it a gender. Maybe we need a new word. <laughs> but the gender agenda has been causing strife, which is actually part of its goal to get people pissed off. We've covered this. This is how spells get cast. <clears throat> First, you create high emotion. But this monopoly that we're referring to <clears throat> is a big part of it because pressure from the top has created a rating system. And if you don't have the right rating, you won't get your bank loan. And so they're being, they're forcing, or they're giving the impression that from the top down, this gender nonsense that's everywhere, even destroying things that used to be considered American pastimes, like, I don't know, Star Wars or Indiana Jones, or I don't even pay attention, but whichever ones people feel have been obliterated by race and gender agenda and done in a way to purposely piss you off, uh, the place is doing it could actually accurately tell you we wouldn't have gotten our bank loans had we not done this. Now, I'm not giving them a pass for that because to do what's right is to do what's right. But the point I'm making is this idea is not even really possible without monopoly at a level that we have never seen. But Jason, we're going to jump into a thing that you and I have tried endlessly to cover, and that is the left and right political spectrum. So let's jump in. And by the way, we just got an email. Someone wanted us to take a look at this special new presidential candidate and assured us they'd been following us. Well, excuse me. No, you haven't. Because if you'd been following us, you would know what we know. The word government has a meaning. Govern means to control. Meant is always mind. So the whole basis for any form of ism that you want to put on it is to control minds. That's why we have the word government. It means what it means. Now, this gets worse because the left and right paradigm, now we're going into occult practices. Now you're beginning to recognize why there's an eagle with two wings, and that eagle will never have three wings. Now you're beginning to realize why there is a primary color, a sign, a frequency, a vibrational rate, red and blue. And I'm just doing the reminder here because if anyone wants to refresh their memory on how we got the left-right paradigm, you can email 
Rose will tune you in. I think it's actually episode 54. I'm not sure where we show you that it was the central bankers that gave us the paradigm and they put it in place so that they could get us to fight about things that make no difference in the world while they took over the world. Well, look around. Did they succeed? But anyhow, let's do it again, Jason. Left and right, blue and red, male and female, duality. Let's jump in. The left-right political spectrum is a system of classifying political positions, ideologies, and parties, with emphasis placed upon issues of social equality and social hierarchy. In addition to positions on the left and on the right, there are centrist and moderate positions, which are not strongly aligned with either end of the spectrum. On this type of political spectrum, left-wing politics and right-wing politics are often presented as opposed, although a particular individual or group may take a left-wing stance on one matter and a right-wing stance on another, and some stances may overlap and be considered either left-wing or right-wing depending on the ideology. In France, where the terms originated, the left has been called the party of movement or liberal, and the right the party of order or conservative. If I could imagine, I I mean, as I'm thinking of it off the cuff, the only thing more damaging than the left-right political paradigm in this country that I can imagine is television. That is truly the only thing that I can consider. Well, maybe not. Maybe I need to update the cell phone. So these things have done more damage. But guess what? It's our own damn fault. An adult in a room takes the time to assess things. An adult in the room takes time to make good decisions. An adult in the room thinks for themselves. What this is, is an alternate thinking process where people just turn off their God-given abilities and regurgitate whatever it is they're supposed to believe. Because in reality, any individual is way more complex than some ridiculous political box that says you're conservative, so therefore these are the things that are acceptable to you. No, no, that's not how life works. Actually, in a real world, you're faced with a situation, you assess the situation, and you choose what you think is the best operating method to go forward. Not I can only choose from these forward motions because these are the only ones that are approved by the team I belong to. Now, there's so much we could say about this, but at some point, maybe maybe it's, it's too late. Maybe it is too late. People need to grow the hell up and wake up and recognize this political mind trap for what it is. I mean, what would you add, Wayne? We've done this so many times and it never seems to lose its power. Uh, It's that whole illusion of choice that they give people. That's the whole point here. It's a a method of control. It's the Hegelian dialectic. They control both sides of the argument and steer people in whatever direction they want in doing so. And so that's the control mechanism that they've put in place. And I'll make a distinction here based upon some of what you were saying here earlier about government, which means to control the mind, and governance. And governance, if you look up the the suffix A-N-C-E, ants, Governance would be, it would literally translate to the system of control. That's what that means. A-N-C-E means the system of when you attach it to a word like that. So governance is the system of control. So the left-right paradigm is a form of governance. And that supersedes government, which simply means to control the mind. So what you would see as an official government, it's a a mind hook. It's a, a trap. It's an illusion. 
it's not really what's there. It's there to trap your mind. Those aren't really the people running the show. It's a farce. And that's the whole point here. The system of governance that's in place is this left-right paradigm. They could keep people distracted by issues that don't really matter as much as others while they do the certain things they want to get done and push whatever agendas that they want to promote. It's a system of control. So that's the whole point here. The left-right paradigm is the ultimate system of control, and they have people split up along lines of what you would call team think. My team wins. Your team loses. So uh, it's the whole matter of uh, my guys controlling the government for the next four years. So you just have to suck it up and deal with that. And it's this whole uh, mentality of competition that people inherently have in their nature and a type of tribalism of sorts. So they keep us divided along party lines on issues that shouldn't be divided along party lines like that, because you could have a much more complex view of a subject than the simple left wing or right wing perspective on it. And they try to put us in these camps and keep us in this little box to make us more easily controllable. And that's the whole purpose of the left right paradigm, in my view. So I just looked it up. I don't know if it's the only episode, but one of the episodes that we took a lot of time to do a lot of research to show you were this just nonsensical political paradigm that is trashing our country. Let's just be honest, trashed our country and created a climate where we hate one another, uh, even our own family members, if they happen to have chose the wrong color that you find acceptable. It's episode 120 is one of them. This is from the Banker's Manifesto that was delivered in, I believe, 1924 by a name by the Central Bank Governor of England, which was the model for our central bank. In 1924, the man named Norman Montague, or maybe it was Montague Norman, I can never yes, remember it's Montague which. Norman, just yeah. for future reference, Montague Norman. There you go. 1924, he comes over across the pond and he speaks to the bankers of this country. Here is an excerpt in plain language where they flat out admit what the paradigm that we call left-right politics, who made it and what it's for. Here it is. By dividing the voters through the political party system, we can get them to expend their energies in fighting over questions of no importance. That is a single sentence from the speech, which we break down in this and other episodes to show that if you are caught up in this nonsense, you have put your basic foot in a mind trap. Your, your bear trap on your leg has become a mind trap. And in that, you will see the most absurd things. You will see individuals begin to accept things that are completely unacceptable. You will see them turn on their own family members because they believe in different things. And what's most inane about all of it, none of the ideas are anyone's to begin with. They were carefully crafted by a social engineering arm and then spewed out over basically news, mostly in this country, although online, to do one single thing. And I just read what that single thing was to divide and conquer. It's not arguable. It's just not. Anyhow, Jason, uh, should we jump into democratic socialism? Yes, but in a moment, because there's something about the way these mainstream definitions get put out there. If you really want to look at it honestly, socialism, communism, and fascism, they're really all on one side. They could all be considered left if you want. 
because they're all about control. The opposite of that would be anarchy, where there is no control, where it's kind of a free-for-all. In the center would probably be considered capitalism, but you never hear it broken down in this way. Right. And in so doing, they've steered our political paradigm into a very leftist perspective. Uh, they've shifted what they perceive to be centralism in this onto the more left side of the spectrum in so doing, because that is arguable. You could say all of those different systems of governance are indeed left wing leaning and capitalism kind of falls towards the middle. It's not an extreme far right ideology. And that's wherein much of what's been done with the social engineering of this world has been crafted in this direction to steer people more towards these more liberal viewpoints, more liberal viewpoints. And there's nothing wrong with certain liberal viewpoints. Don't get me wrong. But you do need a, an air of conservatism in order to get things done in a practical manner in this world and through the cooperation of people. And that's what's missing here. So if you want to talk about the extreme far left ideology and the extreme far right ideology, you'll have to look at it from the perspective of the left is all about total control and the right would be the absence of control. So that would indeed be anarchy. So you have total control or anarchy on the left and right. So that being the case, we've been steered into thinking of governance or government systems as being where fascism falls on the right wing and communism falls on the left wing. And the middle would be something in between, which would fall under the guise of probably socialism more than anything if you shift the whole line of intention in that direction, because you're shifting it more to the left than from the right. So if you're thinking in those terms, then yes, absolutely. This is something that's been contrived by the social engineers of this world to steer the world mind into this more accepted paradigm of control when you look at it that way they want people to accept certain measures of control so they want them left-leaning because it's all about control when you get to the far left well i don't want to bring any common sense to this but this party system the politic that we recognize this red and blue is designed ultimately to ensure one thing is never looked at carefully and that is what is best for everybody from its basic inception, it is ensuring that that idea will never be looked at. Instead, it will set down what you can believe if you're a part of this group, and these are the things that are acceptable. At no time will it push away all this hoopla, party, logo, color, group, division, and simply ask the question, what is best for living men and women? And that's by design. And I urge everyone to go look at that speech by Montague Norman in 24 to the bankers. It is in plain English. It is as easy to comprehend as the ABCs. And if you don't get what politics is doing, or maybe I should just say has done, then I mean, I don't know what to tell you. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing that has done the damage it needed to do to take us where we are now, basically. Democratic socialism is a left-wing political philosophy that supports political democracy and some form of a socially owned economy with a particular emphasis on economic democracy, workplace democracy, and workers' self-management within a market socialist economy or an alternative form of a decentralized planned socialist economy. Democratic socialists argue that capitalism is inherently incompatible with the values of freedom, 
equality, and solidarity, and that these ideals can only be achieved through the realization of a socialist society. Although most democratic socialists seek a gradual transition to socialism, democratic socialism can support revolutionary or reformist politics to establish socialism. Democratic socialism was popularized by socialists who opposed the backsliding towards a one-party state in the Soviet Union and other nations during the 20th century. You know, if you consider it in a weird way, uh, the ability for the controllers of this world to steer wars is almost an expansion of the political idea. So instead of having the local left-right paradigm or blue-red paradigm, instead there's like, oh, those are communists and we're not. So it's almost the same divisive tactic being used. And the only reason I bring it up is because I don't think there's much doubt that if things don't go as smoothly as the world planners hope for, that there's going to be some kind of a war with China. I think that is the big arrow in that quiver, uh, because when war at that level breaks out, everything's on the table as it always is in war. But I don't know about you guys, all these terms feel very outdated compared to what we're actually dealing with now by dint of technology being a part of it. What do you think, Wayne? I tend to agree. Like a lot of these terms and ideologies are more reserved for the 19th and 20th century than they are relevant today. Because like you were pointing out, the advent of technology here and the rise of technocracy seems to put these things in an older type of a a mind frame. So that being the case, although they've taken the portions of these different forms of governance and applied them in different ways that suit their agendas, we don't have exactly the same animal that it used to be. So we can't look at things in the same way we once did. And that's the whole point here. The rules of engagement have really changed with a lot of this. And that's where people are beginning to fall away from understanding how things are being done because they're looking at it in these black and white type of mindsets, the communist ideology versus the capitalist ideology. And it doesn't apply anymore. It's, it goes across the board of these lines of thinking. It always kind of has, but they were able in the past to divide these things out along those lines and have this opposition one to the other. But in the modern era, we've kind of lost touch with that black and white way of thinking. It's all shades of gray now. And that's what the technocracy is taking advantage of. They're pushing portions of each of these systems of control. So we can't even really say what type of a government we truly have anymore. That's the point. There was a time in this country where we could say, yes, the United States is a capitalist nation. We could say the Soviet Union was a communist nation. Now, the lines are blurred. And that's the whole point here, because that's what go- what's going to bring in this whole one world government or one world governance and the idea of technocracy. They're applying all of these things that work across the board to implement systems of control. Because that's the ultimate ends here is control, not so much about human freedoms or human rights, as they oftentimes try to tout, but it's about control. It's about wholesale centralized control by somebody at the top somewhere. So that's why they push for this whole one world government idea. And that's why they've blurred the lines between these different systems that were once identifiable as polar opposites. Well, it's not the case anymore. 
they find out what works for each system and they apply these different methods to the new system of technocracy. And that's what they're trying to do here. And I think they're, they've had some setbacks, but they've had some major victories in doing so. So people get so confused when you look at the political paradigm that they just don't know what's correct anymore. Our ideologies have been skewed along these left and right type of mentalities, and it doesn't always apply the same to each portion of society. So top-down, one-world control or one-size-fits-all type of governance for people doesn't work. And that's what they're trying to stamp into place. It's all about the homogenization of culture, the homogenization of people groups, the homogenization of social order, if you want to call it that, social order. It's about control, primarily. So when they have these control systems in place and everybody's got the same rules applied to them, then that's game over for the bulk of humanity. We're going to either have to adjust to the new system and comply with it, or we're going to have to exist outside of it and make a new system for ourselves. And that's the precipice of where we're standing in the world at this point. So it's going to be interesting to see what shakes out from all of this. But I would definitely agree with that assessment that many of these terms and ideas don't apply anymore. The rules have changed. It's, I mean, it's, it's indicative of what we've just seen. If I asked everybody listening, uh, if you've lived or have lived in America, what do you call this place? What would be the word from this antiquated list of ideas that we are defining, which still exist in our textbooks and our colleges, what would you call the United States? Is it a democracy? Would you call it that? Maybe you might call it a republic. How would you define it? What word would you use to accurately define what this place is? And then follow that up with a little common sense. If it's a democracy or a republic or representative government, whatever you want label you want to put on it, doesn't that imply that we're a nation of laws so that there is a legislative body, which means that at the governing level in the federal government, which we know is actually a corporation and not a government as we used to think it was, there are supposed to be checks and balances with your executive branch, your judiciary, everybody learned in school. But we just lived through a time where corporations created mandates and that was applied with force and coercion to everybody everywhere in this country. And at no time did the so-called government pass a law to compel anyone to do anything. And that is where we exist now. So as we go through these kind of antiquated ideas, can't we actually say, what did we actually just see? What we actually just saw was a government do nothing but nod its head and echo chamber, whatever the talking point of the day was, didn't put any law on the books to compel anyone to do anything, did enforcement with the absence of laws, while corporations like the CDC, which are not governing bodies, ran the show. So is Dr. Trebing right? Will we call corporations running governments? fascism? What will we call it? And for my money, these are all out of date, but I think it bears scrutinization because in all the textbooks, you'll find these isms and descriptions of things that no longer fit where we exist. I mean, anyhow, where were we, Jason? Well, we're just hitting the top of the hour here. So one thing I would like to say is that a lot of these 
things really are antiquated because it's economics that drive the whole world. How many corporations are multinational now? That seems to be the real issue today. Yeah. And, you know, and you bring up a freaking fantastic point because as everybody knows, I keep an eye on gold and silver, the currency that the creator made that actually has value from my point of view. And I'm watching the astounding amounts of gold and silver that are being pulled off places like Comex. And if you want to actually logically break down what we just witnessed is a place that prints money out of thin air and then demands interest back on it, printed monopoly money because that's what it is, bought gold with it and is depleting these exchanges that housed millions of ounces of gold and silver and they bought it with monopoly money, fake play money. And so all these words that we're describing, they don't really fit where we've arrived at. And by the way, the the sun was not glaring bright enough for us to even know much of, of what we now know until about 2019, when it was pretty clear someone had knocked some wheels off the cart. And then as we got into 2020, it was pretty clear there was only one wheel left on the cart. But Wayne, why don't you tell folks where they can get a hold of you, find your work, buy your books and all that good stuff. All right, man. Thanks again for having me on. Uh, People could find me over at the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast, which is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and pretty much anywhere else you'd find podcasts. My books are available either through Amazon, I know the evil giant of a retailer, or pretty much anywhere else you could buy books at this point. Uh, I have a channel over on Rockfin. Uh, that's rockfin.com backslash Wayne McCroy. If you want to find me there. Also, I have a Substack page, which is growing pretty rapidly. I like Substack as a platform. Uh, that's the alchemicalbeacon.substack.com if people want to look there as well. I'm always posting new articles and links to some of my podcasts and stuff that I've been doing there as well. If people want to contact me directly, it's alchemicaltechrevolution at gmail.com. So that's about it uh, as far as where I can be reached. All right, we're going to regroup. That's been hour one of episode 512, and I'll just share a little idea that I try to guide my days with. One of the things that I noticed, and I noticed it because of my father, the way my father raised me, and though I didn't understand when I was younger, and I never did, I could never grasp when I was younger, why is he doing this thing that he's going to lose money at or something just because he thinks it's right? He doesn't even have to do this thing. And when I got older, I realized he did it because it was the right thing to do. One of the things that we have lost is ethics. Another thing is decency and respect for one another. Each day that goes by, all the actions we do in a day, this is my personal point of view, my personal philosophy, is I try to do what I feel is best and right, being ethical being compassionate, being respectful to others, even if they don't deserve it for the simple principle that I know, or I accept that I am fashioning my own road ahead. Each of us has to do something in the onslaught of what's coming and it is coming. There are, there's no two ways about it. And what I notice more than anything is the main tool here is division. And what division does is gets us to disrespect one another and not help each other. 
And that's where we get the old saying, divide and conquer. It's that simple. That's hour one of 512. First hour is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode and members get full access to the movie called Shoot the Moon. It's two hours long, has an endless array of just strange things that were filmed through high-end optical systems. And it's won something like 10 awards out there in the independent film festivals. With that, we're going to regroup for hour two of 512. And I hope to see you all over at the website as members. And I'd like to wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. We hope to see you for the second half. There it is, man. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing.